Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21. Today we're looking at more, more grave implications arising from misinterpreting biblical prophecy. In our last episode, we saw that there's significant confusion stemming from the land promises and prophecies found in the final 10 chapters of the book of Ezekiel. That's chapters 38 through 48. Now, just put it all in context, Ezekiel was writing during the Babylonian exile. In other words, he was a priest in Jerusalem that was taken out of his homeland, away from his temple, away from the sacrificial system, and there he is in Babylon, approximately 593 BC, we have uh, this prophecy from Ezekiel. And after the prophecies of judgment for the sins of Israel, towards the end of the book, these 38 through 48, these final 10 chapters, he begins to have prophecies of the restoration of Israel. Now, God was using Ezekiel's life as a lens. In other words, uh, divine revelation comes from God, but he also uses the experiences, the vocabulary, the worldview of the authors he has sovereignly chosen to communicate his word. And Ezekiel, being a priest without a temple, without a sacrificial system, even without the freedoms to practice their faith as they had, his view of restoration is painting this ideal picture of a restoration of the temple, restoration of the priesthood, and a restoration of the Jewish temple sacrifices. So that sounds great until you come to a very puzzling question. And the question is this, are chapters 38 through 48 in Ezekiel generally talking about the same thing as Revelation chapters 20 through 22, or are they talking about something completely different from each other? One way to view this, and very often the folks who are on the rapture at any moment theory would view these as two distinct situations being described by the Bible. What I'm trying to convey to you is that these are generally describing the same thing, one through the particular lens of Ezekiel in his day and through the understanding of his people, Revelation 20 talking about generally the same thing, but what St. John is doing in Revelation, it's not simply restoring those things, but the restoration, the final restoration, is so exalted, it goes way beyond any previous expectation. For instance, in Ezekiel 43, one of the biggies is that the Messiah's throne will rule the world from the temple in Israel. And so in Ezekiel 43, we hear this. I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. He said, son of man, 
This is the place of my throne. Okay? In Revelation chapter 21, we have a new Jerusalem, not simply a restoration rebuilding project like you would after a hurricane destroys a a building or something, but this is a new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. It's so much more than what was even conceived possible in the Old Testament, but it comes down from heaven. But notice the similarity between Revelation 21 and Ezekiel. In Revelation 21, John hears a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling of God is with men. Okay, you have the new Jerusalem, the throne in the new Jerusalem, and God's presence with men. And he says the same thing in Revelation 21, 5. And he who sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Are these two different situations, uh, perhaps, you know, centuries apart? Are these two different thrones? Are these two different situations? Or are there similarities with Revelation being an exalted and expanded prophecy of what Ezekiel started? Well, the rapture folks, and by that I'm talking about the rapture at any moment folks, are some of them are actually sending money to Israel to help fund rebuilding the temple. The temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in about 6th century BC. The temple was destroyed a second time by the Romans in 30 AD. And so there's rapture at any moment, folks, who are sending money to Israel for rebuilding Ezekiel's temple. Okay? Also, There's Jewish groups in Israel doing crowdfunding to rebuild Ezekiel's temple. And they raised money from good folks in over 30 countries around the world. Now, (laughs) that was a kind of a nervous laugh. You know, doing such a thing, okay, talking about prompting World War III, which I tried to highlight last time, which a misunderstanding of the land prophecies, this time misunderstanding the temple prophecies. The Dome of the Rock, which is that picturesque dome you see, the Golden Dome, when you look at a picture of Jerusalem today, that's one of the holiest sites of Islam in the entire world. That's the Dome of the Rock. And if you're talking about rebuilding the temple, if you're doing it at that location or even near it, you're talking about a conflict of like of which we probably have never seen, even given all the terrorist activity coming out of the Middle East. Okay, that's one way to look at it. We have to rebuild Ezekiel's temple and just kind of a rebuilding project uh, and make a third temple. Here's another way to look at it, and I I would say it's not as literal as some of the rapture at any moment folks would take it, but it's more scriptural. In John chapter 2, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. He's talking about the second temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. When he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. You see, it clicked. And there's folks right now sending money for rebuilding a third temple that don't get this. Jesus spoke of a temple of his body. And, you know, sometimes the Old Testament prophecies you would have the most exalted way you would describe it. Ezekiel goes over the top, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, describing the exalted new priesthood, the restored temple, the sacrifice. He was trying to say this is going to be beyond great. It's going to be tremendous. But the temple, Jesus said, is going to be his body, his body. I could write a book, or a lot of people could write a book. In fact, I have a book I'm getting ready to read. If you just had two words, in Christ, what does that mean? That little preposition in and put it next to Christ. What does that mean as a Christian? We are in Christ. Well, St. Paul in Ephesians probably nails it the best in chapter 2, starting in verse 19. He says, you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. And it's talking about the family home of all believers of the children of Abraham. Ephesians 2.20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay, you're talking about building this place that God will dwell in his holy presence. That's called a temple, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ himself being the cornerstone. You get the building imagery here? And then verse 21, in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's the fulfillment of Ezekiel's temple. And then verse 22 of Ephesians 2, hang on to your seat or buckle in your seatbelt. St. Paul says, in whom you are. If you're listening to me right now, and if you are in Christ, that's what baptism is all about. Faith and baptism places us in Christ, in whom you also are built into it for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is what's going on. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, St. Paul asked, don't you know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you? They didn't get it, so he wrote in 2 Corinthians 6.16, for we are the temple of the living God. You don't need to send money to create a conflict between Christians, Jews, and Muslims because God's temple is being raised up. Now, here's where the grave consequences really get hot. In John 5, verse 43, St. John's Gospel Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Now, my hero, St. Augustine, says this could apply in a general sense to any false messiah or false prophet. But St. John Chrysostom, in his homilies in St. John's Gospel, says, well, who is it that comes in his own name? He's alluding to the Antichrist. 
and Chrysostom was very explicit about this, that if they don't receive Christ as the new temple, then they build a physical one that the Antichrist comes and dwells in to deceive the entire world and not coming in his father's name, but his own name, exalting himself above every known God. And that so happens at um, St. Thomas Aquinas, and his uh, commentary on the Gospel of John says this, quote, the future sign, that sign in John 5.43, the future sign concerns the coming of the Antichrist. So this is very serious stuff. And just kind of a, a couple of verses to meditate on, In Revelation 16, we find the final battle of the world is in Israel, the battle of Armageddon, and St. John sees in Revelation 16 and verse 13, he said, I saw issuing from the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and from the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and from the mouth of the false prophet, three foul spirits like frogs. They are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And the last thing we want to do as people faithful to God, disciples of Jesus Christ, lovers of God's word, we don't want to contribute to the worldwide deception in the last days. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 336 of Luke 21. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at luke21.com.